Hi, and uh, welcome to another edition of People Progressing Podcast. I'm so excited with having Coach Paula Kruger on today. Um, I call her Coach K. To me, she's the real Coach K. Um, not just taking away from the Duke Coach K, but uh, she's my Coach K. I uh, was very fortunate to be able to coach with her and teach with her at Thunderidge High School and learned a lot. She probably doesn't know this, but I used to come watch practice and stuff and not just kind of be a fly in the wall. I love to do that and learn and learned a lot from her, how she ran her practices and so forth and, and the leader and the coach that she is. But Paula, thanks for coming on. I'm, I hope everything works out with this, <laughs> with the technology we have here, but just give us a little idea of where you grew up and, and how you grew up and what sports you played growing up and, and those kind of things. Sure. Um, first of all, thanks for having me. Um, you probably don't know it, Coach White, but I watched several of your practices and uh, came to a lot of games. I'm kind of a, a basketball or baseball fanatic, so it was fun to you learn from anybody. I am from a small town in South Dakota with approximately maybe 75 people. That was when it was really booming, um, related to maybe all of them at, in some way, shape, or form. Um, I played... The only sports that there were available to us to play at that point when I was growing up, I was basketball, baseball, um, softball, ran track. Um, I loved all sports. I was really kind of a football nut. So I would go to a lot of the, sure. So I played what was available for um, people back in that, in that time, especially specifically for me, I played baseball with mostly the boys, um, transferred into slow pitch softball late wouldn't let me play baseball after a certain age because it was boys only. So I played up until I believe I was 14. Um, I was a catcher, believe it or not. And so when I would whip off the catcher's mask, most of the guys coming home got a surprise. Um, basketball was my first love. I can remember um, being a gym baby. My mom was a basketball coach. So I went with my mom all the time to the gym and it was never forced on me. It was just something that I fell in love with from a really, really, really young age. And so uh, my mom tried to Give me as many opportunities as I could to be part of it. And at that time, we didn't have youth basketball for females. So I would um, actually, and I almost hate to admit this, and it's not a negative, it's just I'm not very good at it. I became a cheerleader in elementary school just so that I could go to the basketball games to be able to watch the guys play. So I think fourth, fifth, sixth grade, um, I did more watching than cheering, but that was my way to, to get into the game. So sports has been a, a part of my life for as long as I can, as long as I can remember. And take us through then from your playing days. I know you had an unbelievable career playing at, at Northern. Um, take us through like your playing days at Northern and then through what happened after your playing days and how you got into coaching. Sure. So um, I actually came to college thinking I was going to be a physical therapist, but knowing deep in my gut that all I'd ever wanted to do was coach. And bless my college coach's heart, he told me about every day, you're going to change your mind. By the time you're a junior, you're going to go into teaching and coaching. I don't even know why you're messing around with the other stuff. Um, I hate to admit it, he was right. Um, but I played here for four years and was surrounded by amazing people. My high school career was fantastic, too, because we had a coach that just um, found a way to get everything out of you that was humanly possible. Um, I came to college and I had a coach that was very similar and when it came time for me to, to make a decision on what I wanted to do with the rest of my life, I knew that coaching is where I was, where it was meant to be. Um, I fought it a little bit because I didn't want, um, I don't want everybody else to be right. I wanted to choose it on my own kind of thing. Um, but I, I don't regret it for one second. It was, it's everything I've wanted it to be. I've learned more from it than I probably could have 
any other profession, but I, I went from playing here at Northern to being an assistant coach while I was student teaching at a small town about 10 miles from here. Um, another small school, it was actually my rival when I was in high school, so it was very unique to be coaching at my rival school. Um, but I was given the opportunity to coach high school track and I got to coach boys because I was coaching sprinters. So it was my first step into coaching, um, you know, non-gender specific where I could coach male and female. Um, I was the assistant girls basketball coach and they started volleyball my first year there and they actually hired me to be the volleyball coach. I'd never played volleyball in my life. Um, you want to talk about a challenge, but that's when I first learned um, that it's not all about what you know, a lot is about who you know. And that meaning that I hired assistants that knew a great deal about volleyball. I knew about the kids and the relationships and what it was going to take to get them to play hard. I didn't know where to put them or how to necessarily coach strategies in volleyball. So my assistants, I learned really early that they were going to be someone I needed to work with and help in any way, shape, or form I could because they were going to be what made us as good as we could be, especially in the sport of volleyball, because my knowledge base just wasn't in it. But you're so from there. Go but ahead. But I'm sorry. But your base with um, your influence and in your um, and how you dealt with kids was always there, right? It yeah, didn't matter if you know it, know it, know so much about the sport at the time, because that can always come. But what makes you, what separates you, is how you deal with kids and how you have a heart that wants kids to just grow and be better. When, when Terry Eckstein, who was the principal superintendent at that time, called me in to do the interview for volleyball, I was actually at basketball practice. I was in a t-shirt and a whistle and a pair of shorts. And he's like, you have a polo here? And I'm like, I don't have anything here. Well, the head coach, Troy Holland, had a polo. So I put his polo shirt on. I went in and I interviewed for a volleyball job. And I had no business really interviewing for it if you were going to base it on my knowledge of volleyball. Um, and I probably learned as much about myself coaching that um, as I did coaching something that I felt very comfortable with because I wasn't, I was not comfortable with the strategies of volleyball. So I was reading books and watching videos and all that kind of stuff, but I was really comfortable with the kids because I had been there with them. I had learned who they were. Um, I think Terry was probably pretty smart because he knew the kids would come out if I was there because I had a way of getting them to come out. Um, and then I surrounded myself with people that knew more about volleyball than me. And, you know, we just we kind of rolled with it. Um, I went from there, I got married and I moved to Nevada and I was um, assistant basketball coach there as well at a high school and also got to coach some track. Um, it was very unique for me because I went into a high school basketball program that was struggling, um, that hadn't had a lot of success um, previously and was given an opportunity um, you know, to build from the ground level with my, you know, with my JV kids who we were so competitive in practice and they love to be there and um, bless their hearts. I still talk to the majority of those kids now. Um, the kids that were at Warner when I was there, which was my first um, organized coaching job in a high school, I still see those kids often and, and stay in touch with them too. So um, it didn't take me very long to figure out my why was relationships and not necessarily on the field or that kind of thing. But after we left the court, what that was gonna mean for the rest of my life and hopefully for the rest of theirs. Uh, from Nevada, I came back here to Northern State and was blessed to be the assistant women's basketball coach and take on a job as the head softball coach. Um, I played college softball, but I had not coached it. I had coached baseball, baseball from, oh, age 16 to probably 20 for my brothers. So trying to transfer my knowledge of baseball into softball, um, again, I learned a great deal there. I, I was coaching 
basically 24 7 365 um, going from basketball practice to softball practice um, going to scout a basketball game and getting off the bus at 5 a.m. and going straight into softball practice starting at six o'clock in the morning. And I, I didn't know any better. Um, I was loving the pieces of, of what I was doing, but it became apparent at some point that I was going to have to choose because I didn't really feel like I could give enough to either one to give it what I wanted to give it at the college level. Um, I was lucky enough to be here for six years. And Coach Fredrickson, who was my head coach that I played for, was also who I worked with here, said, you need to leave. You've got to get out of here. And he said, if you ever want to come back here and be the head coach here, you need to go learn someplace else. You got to go stand on your own two feet. So as any good parent does, he shoved me out the door. Um, I ended up in Colorado um, at the School of Mines. Um, one of the greatest blessings to ever happen was, was leaving here. And one of the greatest blessings that I didn't know was going to happen was um, leaving Mines and ending up at Thunder Ridge. Um, I thought I was done with the high school piece of my life. I, I didn't really... I think I had a desire to teach. I knew that I wanted to coach. Little did I know that the people that would probably influence me the most and get me back to my love of coaching were the kids and the people at Thunder Ridge. Um, that kind of brought me back to that passion that I had lost when I left Mines. Um, and it wasn't really gone. It was just buried a little bit. I, I didn't do a really good job of get better instead of be bitter. I was bitter. And um, it took that move to Thunder Ridge to get rid of some of that bitterness and to find the joy um, in coaching again. And that group of, of young ladies and the people um, that I was blessed to work with and Matt and, and Brian and, and Rami and some of those people that coached with me, Craig Moody, um, Kelsey Goings, it was just, it was, it was amazing to, to be around them. They just, they brought so much life back into something that I thought maybe I had, had lost or misplaced. And so um, leaving Thunder Ridge was absolutely the most difficult decision I've made in a long time but wasn't a hard decision. Um, it had been a dream of mine to be the head women's basketball coach at my alma mater since I played here. Um, I'm not gonna age myself, but it was a hot minute ago that I played here and given the opportunity, the reason I say it was hard was because I love those kids so much and I loved, um, I knew they were gonna be special. They were gonna be great. They went on to win the state title the next year um, under Matt and did some amazing things. Um, but for me, that was hard, but it wasn't difficult to decide that I needed to go because when you have an opportunity to grab onto something that you've um, set as your standard or as your goal, I mean, it's it's going to disappoint people, but ultimately in the end, the happier you are, the better you are for the people around you. And, and ultimately those people are going to understand. And the kids were great right away. You know, I mean, it hurt everybody that, that I was coaching. It was, wasn't easy for me, but they were you know, they were fantastic. I can remember Maddie Ward um, coming into the office and just saying, coach, you got to go. Like that's a, that's a no brainer. Yeah. Um, Jasmine was the same way. Others, it took a little bit longer to, to come to that way of thinking, but they all did come to that way. And they were left in good hands. Matt did a great job, um, took him to a state title and winning isn't easy. Winning is hard. So to do what they did, um, you know, I was like a, a proud parent a little bit. I came back here um, I came back here basically for a three-year interview to have the opportunity to be the head coach. So I was the assistant coach for three years. And when I was given the chance to be the head coach, um, man, the first two years were challenging. We didn't have a very good record. I took over for someone who is as much like a dad to me as my own parents are. And the thought of failing was almost paralyzing at times. Um, 
I really, really struggled with how to balance my vision for what the program should be and what he had already built and trying to mesh those two. And I will be the first one to tell anybody I failed and I failed miserably my first year, not because we didn't win enough games, but because I hadn't figured out how to mesh what my dream and my vision was with what he'd already built. And in doing so, I think I alienated some student athletes that had put so much time into the program. Um, I should have let them help me. And instead I was trying to do all the work and it, it just didn't work. Um, the second year was much better. Um, finding a balance in between those two things. Um, that fear of failure, whether people believe it or not, that's a very real thing. Mm -hmm. And failure is probably your greatest teacher. And I went into year two with my eyes much more open to the fact that I hadn't done a good job. And looking in the mirror when you're as competitive as I am and telling yourself, man, you stunk, um, that too was a pretty eye-opening experience because I'm not sure that I ever truly had told myself that I stunk at a time when I actually did. It was more so when things were going pretty well, it's pretty easy to say, oh, I could have done that better when you're still winning 20 games. It was pretty hard to tell yourself that you weren't very good when you were only winning 10 games. And so that was um, a big learning thing for me. Last year, we were better. Well, we won some games that we probably shouldn't have won and we lost some games we probably shouldn't have lost. But you could see my vision starting to, you know, I, I could feel it. I think people could see it. You know, this year has been so different than anything I've ever experienced as a coach. Um, the flexibility that you need to have right now, um, the fluidity of the situations that you're in, because something is always changing. I told my kids at the beginning of the year, I said, this year is written in pencil, guys, because we're going to have to erase so many times to write something different in. Um, and we've had to. Um, but these kids, um, the resiliency that you find in young people is amazing if you give them a chance to be resilient. Um, I always tell other coaches that your kids don't know that anything is wrong unless you're the person that complains about mm -hmm. it. And so trying really hard to focus on the get to mentality versus the have to and the opportunities that you get treating them as they're truly golden because they are because you just don't know when you're going to lose them. You know, for instance, last weekend we had two different opponents scheduled. And because of COVID, didn't get to play either one. And, you know, we came in on Friday and me not knowing how my kids were going to practice, um, you know, maybe having a pity party or feeling bad for themselves, how they would respond. And they responded unbelievable. It was one of the best hours of practice that we'd had. And so you can, you can choose how to respond. You can feel bad, but you don't have to live in it. You can feel angry, but you don't have to live there either. And so learning and seeing those kids choose to respond in a positive fashion to something they don't control um, as a coach is maybe one of the, the most winning feelings that you can have. And so now I sit um, in what used to be my head coach's office. That's now my office. And, you know, every day to me, um, I haven't had to go to work in a long time. And so this is a dream come true. But I also recognize that there, there are expectations that come with living out your dream and you've got to be prepared to fail and you've got to be prepared for things not to work. And it took me a couple of years to figure out that I wasn't going to walk in here and just do everything the way that I wanted to do it. And it just automatically be that way because this is something that I'd wanted and worked for for so long. My work is far from done. And if anything, I've learned that the pandemic um, has taught me self-awareness and that's maybe to me, the hardest quality that a coach can possess. Um, it's easy to say you are, it's difficult to do the actions it takes to be self-aware. And so um, that's been my focus is flexibility and self-awareness. And that's 
where I sit now. So your technical difficulties really weren't a weren't a big thing to me. <laughs> you got, you got, everything's in pencil, coach. Everything's in pencil. Yeah, they were to me. Uh, you know, the thing about self-awareness, I think with self-awareness, you have to be uh, what we call vulnerable, vulnerable. And that's one of the things that you've demonstrated here is you, you've been vulnerable. You've been okay saying, and I want people to understand that piece of this. The only way you can grow is to be vulnerable and to be honest. And, you know, when you say different things about, well, how it went the first year and the second year and all that, you were, you, you were just being honest with yourself and that's how you grow. And I, I want to go back real quick, though. You, you left one place out that I was really interested in, Arupe Jesuit. Ah. You coached there for a year. Tell us a little bit about what that school is about and, and, and what it was like coaching at that, at that school. I'm, I'm glad you asked that because I certainly haven't forgotten my, my time there. That was unique for me because the first time that I coached when I wasn't in the building or part of the school system or that kind of thing, I was selling um gear outside of the um you know the, the world i was selling basketball gear and football gear and all that kind of thing so i was staying tied to the sports world but i was out of it and i was actually approached by the athletic director from arupe a couple times and i was like i'm hanging out my whistle man i'm, I'm done with coaching it's i was in that that bitter not better place and yeah. he's like yeah but these kids could use you you would you just, you can't imagine how great it would be for them if, if you would come here. And I'm, I talked and I talked and I talked and I actually was at Thunder Ridge um, selling gear to, to the women's, to the women's basketball program, to your girls program. And I, I left there and was on the road and I pulled over into a parking lot and I called my husband and I said, I think I need to do this. He's like, well, then go to Arupe and tell him that you're going to do it. So I went to Arupe. Um, what a phenomenal um, institution in place, the things that they do for those kids is, is something that most high schools probably don't even understand. You know, um, I think back to going in and not knowing anything about it and then watching those kids have jobs for a couple days a week where they would get on a bus and go to their places of employment. So they were learning a trade while they were in school, but that trade paid for them to be at the school. It's a, um, you know, it's a, it's a low income private school that teaches lifelong lessons about you can do things if you really set your mind to it. And it gives you opportunities to learn on the job. And it gives you opportunities to learn about maybe some things that you didn't necessarily um, think you would like, that you end up liking. And then you find places where, man, I always thought I was going to do this. And at age 16, you're like, oof, that's not something that I like. Uh, for me, it was a chance to give back in a way that I was, wasn't able to give back before I um, I've never coached for a paycheck, so I, I don't want that to be a thing, but here more than ever, I didn't, I, I gave it back to the school um, to be able to get the kids warm-ups and buy them shoes because they'd never got to experience having travel gear and, and having shoes and, and that kind of thing. And what an awesome thing for me to be able to, to give back that and, and do nothing but coach because I love to coach. Um, you know, we spent the first two practices learning, learning how to shoot left-handed layups <laughs> the right way yeah. and now they've gone we've gone so far away from there being a right way that you can shoot them any way that you want but um holding their feet down so that they didn't travel um as small of things as as you could think but maybe the lesson that i learned the most is that kids want to compete they they want to be held to a standard and it wasn't about the scoreboard it was about you couldn't shoot a left-handed layup yesterday but two days from now you're going to be able to um and they came out and did so many amazing things. I've seen so many of them graduate from college. Um, 
I'm still in touch with them. Um, you know, I, I'd think about the young lady who would get on the bus over in Aurora at four o'clock in the morning by herself to come to school at Arupe and would stay for practice and then walk to the bus stop herself and get on the bus right all the way back and not get home until seven or eight at night and then have all of her homework and practice her violin and all those things. And she didn't miss a practice. She didn't miss a game. Um, you want to talk about an independence that I had no idea existed at that age, that 100%, you know, was it. And certainly um, we can all learn lessons from, from everybody. Age is really not a factor. And I learned more about dedication to something from, from those individuals than I probably had at any other point in my life. And I, I always talk about um, your purpose, perspective, and passion. Um, I would say that prob that place might have been the place that gave you the change your perspective on things really fast coming out of a time when you said that you had hung up your whistle, you were frustrated, you were kind of done, and and then you went back into a place that got you back into your perspective, which put you back into your passion. Would you agree with that? Oh, 100%. I think um, that was the, I've always tried to walk that servant leader path. Yeah, But I think we all try to do that. I don't know. And I've really come to think that there is no try. You either do or you don't. And I did in situations, but I didn't in others. And that was the first place where I truly learned the meaning of being a servant leader, of being able to give back and, and knowing that there was no expectation in return, but just seeing the sheer happiness that those kids had putting on a pair of shoes. You know, that was... Um, to me, that was where I got the first opportunity, you know, to learn what it meant to be a true servant leader. And let me ask you this question. It's kind of deep, but what, what's your purpose in coaching? What, why, why do you coach? <laughs> I write it up on my board all the time. I have it back behind there, but um, my why is relationships. Um, yeah. Always has been. I'm a people person. And so I truly believe that there is innate goodness in every soul that I've ever met. And then I can learn something from someone as simple as just saying hello. Um, it takes me back to Thunder Ridge. And I, I don't tell this story often, but the very first ceremony where the seniors were leaving and you're bringing the freshmen in. And there was a senior that I didn't have in class that I don't remember meeting at all. And she sought me out in the gym. She said, I just want to say thank you. I didn't know her name. I didn't know who she was. She never even told me her name. She just said, I just want you to know you were the first person to tell me directions to the bathroom my senior year and I was a new student here. And you walked me to the bathroom and I said, well, honey, I walked you to the bathroom because I didn't really know where it was either. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, she sought me out to say thanks and to think that walking someone to the bathroom because they didn't know where it was could lead to, you know, feeling wanted or special or paid attention to um you know I, that to me is my purpose all the time not just in coaching but in in waking up every day if i can make one person feel better then i feel like my day is better too awesome and so as a leader because you've you've been a leader your whole life um what what we did what, what was one quality that you think makes a great leader just just give one right now i think authenticity is probably what I think, um, at least for me, has been the quality that I've um, 
focused on the most is I don't want anyone to ever think that I'm fake, that what I'm saying isn't real. That when I teared up telling that story, those are legitimate. That's really how I feel. Um, so authenticity, being genuine is to me, um, and I, I don't think you can be a great leader if you can't be real. And what, what's one thing that you think you have to deal with or fight against in terms of things that bring, bring people down or maybe even you sometimes down as a leader? I think, I don't know that we all know how to call people up. I think we know how to call people out and learning how to bring people with you versus making somebody else feel bad to bring somebody up. I think that's probably the greatest challenge. And I think sometimes, you know, being authentic and being your true self, um, specifically being a female, um, I'm, I have a big personality. It, it can be a lot. And for a male leader, I think sometimes they feel like that is that is leadership, being that big personality and being loud. And I think sometimes for me, I was told more than once that it's intimidating. And so the variance between that piece and how then I have to change, not, not change who I am, but change how I call people up versus how I hold people accountable. Um, you know, that has been a, a big challenge for myself and it probably probably not just related to being a female, but in, but in my instance, that's where the big difference was. My personality being big was intimidating to um, not just my female counterparts at times, but to male counterparts um, as well. And that certainly was never who I was, who I was trying to be. That's just me. And so learning how to still be yourself and um, call people up with that authenticity and um, being genuine, because sometimes being genuine, I can deal some harsh truths that not everybody wants to hear and remembering that I need to deal those in a way that can be accepted that calls somebody up versus making them feel like they're called out or singled out um, is not one of my greatest talents. And so working on that challenge um, has been, uh, I don't want to say difficult because when you have a challenge, you get an opportunity to rise to it, but it's certainly um, it's, it's a harder piece for me because a lot of times I just want to say it how it is, tear the bandaid off and move on. And that's not necessarily how everybody functions. And so recognizing that I need to adjust that authentic way that I would do it to deliver it with, I always say that you can do a sledgehammer or sometimes it needs a ball peen. And so yeah. sometimes I got to lessen my hammer a little bit. Well, and, and being self-aware of all that is, is huge. I think great leaders are very emotionally intelligent. And you've really described, um, I think, one of the key things in, in being a, a great leader is having emotional intelligence. The first thing emotional intelligence is being self-aware. And um, the, the second thing is being empathetic. One of the things, one, another one is empath empathy. And you've shown that uh, through your thing. And the other one is social awareness. And, and you talked about this, and I want to go back to it. Uh, you said something about you still are in contact with kids that you coached 20 years ago. How important is that to you? Oh man, that's uh, nothing brightens my day like a, a phone call or a message or <laughs> um, you know anything from from one of my former my former players from you know the graduation invitations from Rian Ray just graduated with her teaching degree and wants to be a PE teacher and it was so awesome to get that that invite. I obviously I couldn't attend, um, but super proud and, and Jasmine graduating and 
I got to, her mom asked me to send a video so that she could put a collage together. Um, but my players from 25 years ago, they are, I'm still in contact with those people. I've been parts of their weddings. I've babysat their children. I've, you know, those are the pieces to me that matter the most out of the blue, probably three weeks ago, I got a phone call from a former player who was looking at switching jobs and didn't really know how to say it. And we probably, we would text or say hi, but it was a 40 minute conversation. She's like, coach, I'll know you'll be honest with me. Just tell me what you think of this. And you know, those kinds of things are, are why you do this, the opportunity. And it's not just the great things. Those are certainly awesome to be part of, but you know, when, when things are tough, um, you know, knowing that they can come home and that's kind of, you know, how I've always wanted it, you know, to be that we just did a chapter with my basketball team here. We have a leadership group and we read a book as a team and we go through the chapter and it talked about vision. And it was, it was good for me to have to kind of sit down and verbalize what my vision is because I've always been, I always know in my mind what it is, but to be able to tell somebody else. And I told him, I said, my vision is exactly what I've lived. I, I want a student athlete driven culture that never ends that you know when you leave here you can always come home and I had never really I hadn't put it in words before it was easy to say once I sat down and started yeah. to kind of piece it together but I had never thought about actually needing to verbalize that you know to people and now it's written on my board it's something that we talk about because I think um I think people need to know when when you're a leader or um you know if, even if it's in the if it's in the workplace if it's a coach if it's whoever you are People need to know what your vision is and that vision, you know, for them. And so I'm, um, I'm always working with my assistants on, you know, what's your vision? Where do you want to go from here? What do you want to do next? You know, can I help you get there? Um, and I think that's just important for everybody around you to understand what your vision is. And I, I don't know until the last couple of years that I ever verbalized it to anybody. I just, I don't know if I thought they had ESPN, they'd just be able to see it um, or what, but um, definitely being able to, to verbalize that. And now my team, they, they write their vision and their mission every year and it's plastered everywhere so that they can see it all the time to hold themselves accountable to exactly what they all agree they believe in. Yeah. And I, I think that's so important that they, they, they reflect on that all the time. Um, I used to say the I, I based the success of my baseball program on how many kids I still was talking to five, 10, 15, 20 years after they graduated from our program not how many state championships we won or anything like that, but what were those kids doing? Were they productive members of our society? Were they great husbands, fathers, um, sons, daughters, all those different things? You know, I didn't, I never had a chance to coach girls, but you know, with the, when I taught them in school, it was the same thing. What kind of relationship do we still have five, 10, 15, 20 years from now? And what were they doing as productive members of our society? was the basis of my success in my program. And I want to ask you this question, because my, my goal is to kind of bring this coaching mentality into the so-called work world or the real world. How easy is it to translate what you're talking about today to a guy who's running a company, who's a CEO of a company, or a woman who's a CEO of a company? Do you think there's any difference there? You know, I, I, I don't, because I think... Um, if you haven't read um, the, 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 the Warrior Lunch book, um, it's, an, it's an amazing book and it talks about a gentleman that's getting ready to take over a business and they have him go do all these lunches with um, 
all these different peoples in all it in all walks of all walks of life. Um, and you know, it everything they talk about transferred to running a company, running a program, running a school. Um, you know, it's really honestly about how you relate to the people that you work with. And I don't think that that varies regardless of what walk of life you're in from, you know, ministry at a church to a teacher to, you know, my husband manages um, a bottle shop and liquor store. And I caught him the other day sending text messages to some of his staff, thanking them for all of their help over the holidays and, and that kind of thing. And, um, you know, it, it, I just think that it, it transfers to whatever and wherever you want to use it but you have to, you have to put it into practice. You know, I've, I've read a lot of books and um, I have a book list and a lot of those books come from people that aren't coaches that I've read that you take lessons from and you try and apply to being just a, a better person in general. And I think right now, especially right now in the world that we're in, that lesson in and of itself about just being a good person, you know, you, you can't treat others how you want to be treated. You need to treat them how they want to be treated. And I, I don't think that we all, I know for a fact that I haven't always remembered that, you know, I always try to go by the golden rule, treat others how you'd want to be treated. Well, that's, it's not, that's not maybe the golden rule. You have to treat others how they want to be treated. And, you know, there's so many different communication styles. And if you want to be in a leadership position, or even if you don't want to be, but you are learning how to communicate with all those different people, that's all relationship based. And that's really, to me, that's what coaching is, is relationships. And if you can't figure out how to communicate with the many, then you got to start doing it one at a time. And, you know, you, you, you build your, you surround yourself with people that are, that are better than you so that you can learn that. And um, I've been blessed to be surrounded by some truly amazing, amazing people. And that's the vulnerability part. Again, I think great leaders are vulnerable. They can put themselves out there. They can admit those things. I'm going to put people in positions that are better than me. Um, that, that's what separates you. And um, I, I, 70% of Americans are disengaged at work. I think that number would go way, way down if people had the same philosophy of a relationship first, people first, in terms of how they lead a business or how they lead their work workplace. Oh, I, I, I think you're 100% right. I've never, I've never run a company, um, but I have started some, you know, basketball AAU things and, and those types of things where we had to travel all over the country and, and that kind of stuff. And you can't do it without other people. And I was a point guard in college. And the one thing that stuck in my mind from my head coach from the very first day was he said, you have to be someone they want to follow. You have to be someone that they know is going to go through the wall first, that you're going to take whatever comes and find a way to deal with it and not necessarily be able to shield them from it, but help them understand it. And so um, that's the mentality that I've adopted. My high school coach gave me the same speech when I was a freshman in high school about they've got to be someone they want to follow. You've got to be worth following. What you do has to be that if you're going to be the leader, that's who you have to be. And so um you know, lead, follow, or get out of the way. That's your, basically your three choices. And um, I chose to lead because I don't think I would, I can follow when I need to, but that's not my personality. So um, I just, I think if you can build it around other people and you can truly learn how to practice serving others and, and giving back with nothing expected in return and educate yourself, it's not on other people to educate you. It's on you to take from them to educate yourself. 
um, Indian. And so I, this last year and a half has really given me an opportunity to embrace those things. I think I practiced them quite often. I just don't think I knew what they were until I had the time to really research it and start to write it down and to not necessarily reinvent myself because I've pretty much been the same person since I was a little kid, um, but to reinvent maybe how I presented who that person was and learning how to present that to different entities um, and get the same message across because they all, it was the same message but needed to be delivered differently. And it's, it's such a great story. I could, do, I, I could actually spend hours with you doing this. Um, you mentioned the Warrior Lunch. Uh, was that Rod Olson's book? You know, I'd have to look up the. I think it is. I think I think it is, but it was um, yeah. was fantastic. It was I, I've awesome. read a ton of books, but it, it it was great. I just started reading a couple of Annie Duke's books where she talks about how to make decisions. She's a poker player, and she's going to teach. I was on a podcast that she was on with Mike Neighbors, who coaches at Arkansas, and she talked about her books, and he kind of got me onto those about how to make decisions and to make choices and um, totally different avenue. And I wouldn't have thought of, man, I should read a poker player's book on how to make decisions, but she gives you strategies on, on why and how, and um, it's amazing. You know, Atomic Habits is another book that I've just started and man, you know, it's simplicity of building a habit and it, it breaks it way down into, into things I, I didn't think of, you know, forming a habit is really not that difficult. If you, if you know how to break it down into some of those things. And man, it should have been a lot easier if, if I have known some of those things when I was coaching 25, 25 years ago. But um, yeah, it's, I've just had a, a, an opportunity to, to read and to educate myself, to watch a lot of things. Um, there's a lot of great docu-series out there right now about betting yourself and learning. I've become a podcast person and I was not much of a, wasn't an audio learner, um, but man, right now in this day and age of Zoom and that kind of thing, you have to be because mm -hmm. you don't get the, the hands-on. It's great to see a face though. This is so much easier when I can, when I can look at people and do it. So I'm, I'm thankful for that opportunity. It's made me grow as an old coach that's maybe stuck in her habits a little bit to venture out into some new ways to communicate. And I, I think you've really hit something big here um, that people can learn from also is it is always so gratifying to keep growing and learning. And you're a 25-year coach who's coached at many different levels. You've coached different sports. You've played different sports. Um, you've seen it all. You've, you've won at different levels. You've lost at different levels. We all have. But you're still out there reading books. You're still out there. The, the name of this podcast is People Progressing. You're still out there growing and learning and progressing on a daily basis. And what that does is it translates back into your players and teaches them to grow and learn and progress on a daily basis. And when you do that, your team's going to win. We've, uh, I, I've been blessed to have some kids that have really embraced that, that learning and progressing and moving. And, um, you know, we don't do captains anymore. We do a leadership group and we do the leadership group based on a foxhole test. Those people that, you know, you would want mm -hmm. in front of you and beside you, if you had to go to battle. Um, and it's been really neat to see the kids work hard to become foxhole people. Because, you know, when your teammates are, are picking their leadership group and you're someone that isn't in the foxhole yet, but you know you can get there, it becomes a lot easier to grab onto, you know, reading and, and that type of thing. Um, we're currently reading Raise the Game, um, Raise Your Game right now, and it's been absolutely fantastic. We read a chapter a week, we talk about it, and 
just watching them take things from it and, and hold each other accountable for the things that they've said and talked about has been um, really, really fun for me to see that. So um, if, you're, if you're not learning, to me, that's kind of stagnant and it gets to be a little bit boring. And I don't know that I'm going to coach forever. I hope that I get an opportunity to coach for as, as long as they'll let me be here. Um, but when I'm done coaching, I don't think I'll ever be done um, wanting to build relationships with people and, you know, venture in maybe into a new area of, of life in a business world or as an administrator at, at some level. Um, you know, Sean Patterson reaches out about once every two months asking me when I want to be an athletic director. And so maybe he's got something there. I, I don't know, but I, I know that I'm not done um, taking steps and, and moving forward because I, I have to be better for my kids to be better. I have to be different for my kids to be different. And so if, if I'm not willing to do those things, I can't expect them to be willing to do it either. And so what do you want to call it? Shared suffering or whatever it may be. Um, if I'm not willing to do it, I can't ask somebody else to do it too. And, I, and we'll wrap this up and thank you for your time. But what I, I want people to get out of this, this is a college basketball coach coaching at one of the highest levels you can coach at. And she's proven to you that people first coaching or people first leadership works. And by that, I mean, what you just said with having a leadership team, um, leadership group within your team and having them grow and learn and, and grow as leaders all the time and realizing the importance of that, not only for your team, but for them as individuals. And what I want people to get out of that story is even the highest ranking coaches, that's what their bottom line is. That's what they do. Why can't people in business do the same thing? so that we can get that 70% of disengagement of people down. My, that's my goal in my life, is to get people enjoying what they do. And it's through people first coaching and people first leadership, through business, through coaching, through athletics. That's what it, it's about. And you just proved that you can be a coach at the highest level, but your focus is still on developing and helping people grow and progress. So I wanna thank you for coming on, Coach K. Um, and we'll be following your team. Um, it's just, it's been an honor to be on here with you today. And I know that this, this podcast will help a lot of different people and help people not only as leaders, but it's just in their individual life and growing. So, um, do you have anything else you want to end with? I just, I want to say thanks to you for, for reaching out. Um, your book is fantastic. What you're doing is fantastic. Who you are is um, you know, nothing short of amazing when you continue to want to give back after being in education as, as long as you have. Um, and um, to anybody listening or that listens to this that you put up, please feel free to contact me um, anytime. I'd be happy to visit, chat, um, whatever I can help with. Or if you just have stories that you want to share, um, please. I, I love that kind of stuff. That makes all my days better. So um, Go on Northern's website, my email, my phone number are right there. Call, text, email, anytime. That's awesome. Um, and, I, and we will be in touch. Uh, this has been, I know the technical difficulties I had on my end uh, really was frustrating <laughs> this morning. Again, as you as a true leader, calm me down, got me out of that. And uh, this has been great. So thank you so much. And I, best of luck with the rest of your season too. I could, thank you very much. About winning, we want to win. Um, but I, I always say that character wins. 
And what you're doing is you're building more and more character through your players. And when you build more and more character through your players, you'll win on the court. So I appreciate it. And uh, we'll be talking to you soon. Thanks a lot, Joe.